Welcome to Journey Elgin of Elgin, Texas, where we are living life in Christ, impacting his kingdom. Our service times are Sunday at 9 a.m., followed by a second service at 1045 a.m. Today's message is A Quiet Life. Here's Pastor Philip Thomas. I want to start off by saying we're starting a kind of a new, this is a new season. Um, you know, anytime you kind of start getting into fall and, and school starts, churches kind of go with that, that season. So we're, we're beginning something new. So I'm going to start talking about uh, some things that many of you have heard before, um, some general ideas and thoughts about um, who we are here at Journey and what we're trying to do, um, what we're trying to, to be about. And uh, one of the reasons that this is a good time to do that is that we're coming up on an anniversary. We're coming up on our four-year anniversary for Journey, uh, officially. That's uh, September 14th is uh, technically that. And, uh, and we're going to, whenever I talked about the baptism, uh, we're going to kind of combine that and make it a celebration. We're going to celebrate baptism as well as kind of celebrate uh, our, our anniversary. So we'll, we'll have a time to do that. But, but that's, a, that's a weird thought, four years, right? And, uh, and so I've, I've kind of been reflecting on that. And in some ways... And in a lot of ways, it, it seems like just yesterday, it's like four years, are you kidding me? But then there are those times you're like, man, it's been four years, you know, or five years. Because we've been in Elgin now five years. And, uh, and, but it's really cool to, to kind of look back and to, to say, man, we, we're still here four years later. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, we, we started with basically no one. And where did people come from? And I've told you before, I still don't know the answer to that question, really. But it's awesome to see what God is continuing to do. But, uh, but, and I'm sure you've experienced this, too. Um, we can always overanalyze things, right? And we, always can, we can easily get into the comparison game a little bit. And, uh, and so, you know, I'm, I'm one, obviously, I hope that you've picked up that uh, I'm not big on numbers and things like that. I don't push that. Um, but there are realities. And, and so, uh, you know, this past week I've kind of been looking at, at some things with, uh, with church planning. And statistics and church planning are kind of all over the place because it's, it's hard to really narrow it down. One popular statistic that a lot of people use is that 80% of new church starts fail. Um, I think they've kind of adjusted that. It's probably not that high. Uh, and, and it also depends on what you define failure as. Sometimes churches merge, some, you know, things like that. Um, you know, but, but there, are, there are a lot of factors to that. Um, you know, they're finding out more and more there's factors that we can't control, that no one can control for the, that help a church grow. For example, do you, do you find a good spot? And is it a community that starts to grow? Like, that's nearly a common theme in all churches that have really taken off. And, uh, you know, and, and so there's no, there's no rhyme to reason to it all the time. There's not a perfect formula. And, uh, and it's interesting because we typically hear about the churches that just have, are exploding, right? And we look and say, man, that's, look at all these churches that are huge now. Well, those are still a tiny percentage of churches that are that are really just huge. And, uh, and so I started looking at, you know, at, at, and one of the things that is our critical time periods for churches, uh, the first couple years are, are very difficult and challenging time. Um, you know, because you're obviously, uh, it's pretty obvious why that would be a hard 
hard time for the first couple years. What's interesting is as church planting has been going more and more, um, it's really been kind of popular over the last 15 years is when it's just really kind of increased. And, um, but they're seeing that, that years four to six are in some way nearly as difficult as years one and two. And, uh, and part of that is because you're, you're, getting, you're becoming more of a church, right? So you have some of those natural tendencies of, you know, of becoming more organizational and things like that. Um, but, uh, but you're also, you're, you're probably not having any of the startup funds and finances. You're more reliant on uh, being self-sustaining. There's all those practical things uh, that come into play. And, uh, and so I started thinking, well, you know, we're in year four. You know, I feel like things are going pretty well, but, you know, but how are things going? And one statistic, and I, I don't know if it's true, but I'm going to hold on to it, right? It's kind of that's what we do with statistics, right, is we find the ones that like us, uh, we, we like, and we're like, hey, that was a good one. And, uh, but uh, it said that most churches by year four, they are just starting to have around 100 people. Now, now I heard that, and I was kind of, I was like, really? Because what we hear and what we see is we see the abnormal successes, right? And, uh, and, and so most, I would think in my head, um, you're thinking, oh, well, by year four, so you should be at 200, 250, whatever, you know. That's not, that's not the case. And I, and I just want to be an encouragement to you because, and again, I say this, not really caring <laughs> too much because I feel like things are going well. But after we went to two services uh, in um, Easter last year, from Easter until summer started, we were averaging over 100. And, uh, and so we've kind of hit that barrier and we've overcome that barrier. And so now who knows where that goes. But that's, that's something I think we can kind of be excited about, that, uh, that hey, things are, are going well. God is, is clearly moving. Um, and, and we just have to continue to move forward. And one of the ways that we continue to move forward is by defining and making sure we stay who we're trying to be. Right? And, and I've said this before, but I say it again. What we're trying to be here at Journey, it doesn't fit a lot of the church planting models. Because we are trying to be very simple and in a lot of ways very just ordinary and, and that, that fits my personality, but it also fits what I believe that I see in Scripture. Not to say that other ways of doing it are wrong, and that's never what I'm trying to say. But here's the challenge for all of us, is I don't know if it can work long term. Here's why. And I say that, and I'll go ahead and give you a spoiler alert. I, I do think it can work long term, all right? But here's why it's a challenge, and I do believe it's a challenge, because we now live in a culture that loves passion and emotion and causes and movements and stirring people to action and, and encouraging people and getting them going and getting them fired up and moving forward, right? In fact, I would say that we're getting to a, to a point now where... We even allow arguments to be won based on who is the most passionate and emotional about the argument, not who's actually right. right? 
You know, you, you can watch a lot of things where people are debating something back and forth. And it, it nearly, who is the one who can be the loudest? Or, and it's not necessarily who uh, lays out the best argument. It's who's the most passionate. And so we've equated passion and emotion with importance. That is not always the case. And I'm not here to bash emotion. And, and if the first service is any, uh, any indication, I got kind of emotional and passionate about being cautious about being emotional and passionate. Right? So I understand the irony here. All right? But in our culture, I think we're, we're moving in that direction. And all of a sudden, what's starting to happen is we're starting to be defined by our most emotional. And the, the, the best way to look at this is what is happening kind of in a political overall world. What right now is happening is that the far left and the far right are the most emotional and the most passionate. And everyone, most people feel like their heads are kind of spinning. It doesn't matter which kind of side you're on. Right? Why is that? Why do we feel like we're in a chaotic situation? Because, by the way, if you step back and look, things are actually pretty good. Things are pretty stable in a lot of very measurable things. But yet most people feel like things are going crazy. They feel like they're in the ocean and just getting... Why is that? Because the loudest people right now and the people that we're listening to are the most passionate and they're on the ends. And it's just like, oh, my gosh, what's happening? That is a dangerous place to be. And I think the church, we've gotten caught up into that. And because what it appears is it looks is that's how you get people involved, right? That you, you, you uh, create a movement or create some kind of excitement. I've been to so many different uh, church conferences and things like that. And guess what? They are all high energy. And, and that's okay we do need those moments, all right? I'm not against that. But most of them, what they're saying is, hey, in order for you to grow and for your church to grow, man, you need to get your people excited. You need to get them fired up. You need to get them going, all this stuff. And I, I just get, I come away and I'm tired. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I don't know if I can do that. You know, and, and, and whenever we, and when we start to think about it, whenever I think about, who are the, the Christian heroes, you know, that are, that are out there? Most of us, if, if, you, if you're a fan of church history or things like that, you know, we'll go back and you start naming passionate evangelists, right? And we start naming people like Billy Graham, you go older Spurgeon, you know, these guys. And they are, they are passionate. They're on fire. And by the way, I like a lot of the stuff that they say, okay? I'm not bashing anyone here. But... The way that they started coming after it, and it goes back, there's a guy named Finney, Charles Finney. You can do, do a Google search on him. And he kind of started the emotional back in the late 1700s, early 1800s, kind of started this, uh, or, or didn't start, but really moved it to another level of just the, the passionate and the, the conversion style, the hellfire brimstone, kind of that. And, and we're all part of that culture. And and so it's not all bad, but I think it's just become now more and more heightened because now we look at, okay, well, how do our churches survive and how do we compete in a world that puts so much emphasis on passion and emotion? Well, we, need, we feel like we need to do the same thing. 
Right? There's a, a bunch of books. I've read a lot of these books. There's a lot of good stuff in them. But listen to the names of these books. Radical, Relentless, Crazy Love. It's actually a, a good book. I'm not, but you, know, you hear the, the themes behind them. Uh, there's a book that's called Passion, called Fervent. One of the, the books that we were encouraged to read in church planning was called The Barbarian Way. Right? Now, it was actually not a terrible book. There's some good stuff in there. All right? And so as I'm, I understand, you know, this is kind of a both and, and I'm trying to cop out, copping out a little bit here because I'm not against all this. But do you hear what that's doing? And the reality is, is we can't live that way forever. And, uh, and I, I remember there's a guy, I don't know, how, how many of you heard of Craig Rochelle? He's Life Church. If you have the Bible app, the, the, he, his church created that Bible app. It's awesome. Um, he's up in Oklahoma. Uh, now they have no telling how many satellite campuses. They're huge. Um, he's, he's big into leadership, things like that. I was in a conference uh, with him in a room about this size. And so he was like right there. And, uh, and, and which is always kind of weird. It's this bigger-than-life figure, and then you're right there. Now, he's, he's, he works out. He, he has time. But, uh, but, uh, but, man, he was so intense. And, like, there were people that walked away from that meeting going, oh, yeah. I walked away going, oh, my gosh, I would die if I worked for him. He started talking about some of the things that they do as a staff. And, and the, the things that they have to, to do. And by the way, in order for that church to become what it is, that's what you had to do. And they've also done a ton of great things. That, that Bible app is awesome. right? But they've done so many. And they, God has changed people's lives through them. Right? But I look at that and I'm like, is that, is that where we need to go? You know, and, and one more example, if you don't, if, if you need to know how crazy that passion can, can make people, and, and, and if we're not careful, we try to tap this in, in church as well, but in the political world right now, there's all kinds of legal stuff that's been happening the last year, on both sides, by the way, and so this is to both sides, and I, I get, there's uh, two different political figures who and, and it's not the president. These are, <laughs> that's hard to say. But, uh, but it's underneath on both sides who are facing indictments. And an organization, not them themselves necessarily, but an organization started a GoFundMe page to support their legal costs of things that they did, right? And they have actually, these are people who already are well off who now there are people that have given hundreds of thousands of dollars to these GoFundMe pages to support the legal bills of candidates that don't even represent them. That is insanity. All right? That is the height of emotion driving us to do things that do, does not make any sense. All right? And I'm not saying don't get political. Get, be involved in political. But if you find yourself giving to someone to help their legal defense that's already paid for anyway by the, the, either one of their conventions, you need to check your passion. Right? But it works. 
is what I'm saying. And that's why, as churches, we can get caught up in that. And we're going to make the decision that we're not. And you know, I can give you a lot of examples of churches that have succeeded by creating a cause and saying, hey, we're going to end poverty in our town. Okay? No, you're not. It's a good goal. But, but that's a wonderful cause, right? We're going we're gonna, to uh, focus on uh, illegal immigration. Right? We're going to focus on abortion issues. Well, a lot of churches will gravitate to a cause. They're fine. But if that's your focus, if that's what you're trying to do to fire people up, man, that's not what we're going to do. It's just not. And, you know, and I can't sit here. I don't have many examples that say, oh, that church is doing great. And you know what? They're really not doing a whole lot. Doesn't that sound really bad? But I think we need to understand where we're coming from. All right? And it doesn't mean that we don't do things. And it certainly doesn't mean we're not passionate. Because we will be very passionate about following Jesus Christ and living our lives out for him. But we're not going to create artificial emotion and passion. Because I don't think... That's how Jesus would have done it. And it's not, it's not the way we're going to do it. And so, you know, and I, I've been thinking about this a lot. And I, I think about Jesus. And, uh, and, and I, I, I want you to think about who is, who's the, um, the most influential pastor out there right now. I don't know who it may be. It, it was Billy Graham for a long time, Right? And it has a very loud voice. And Billy Graham isn't the greatest example because he did a whole lot of good. Um, but he, he could get pretty fiery. He was emotional. It was, it was that way. Whenever I compare his style and I think about Jesus and the picture that I see of Jesus and how he went about his ministry from beginning to end, I think there's a big difference. I think Jesus' way, I don't see Jesus as an overly emotional figure. Was Jesus emotional? Yes, no doubt. But was he, was he trying to get people rallied around causes? No, he wasn't. In fact, by the end of his ministry, people were kind of leaving because Jesus wasn't doing enough to excite them. Right? Jesus got pretty angry one time and he kicked some people out of the temple. Right? There's places for emotion. But whenever I read, the picture I get, and I know this is a little bit subjective, but the picture I get of Jesus is he was not out there just doing pep rallies all the time, right? And I want to look in a passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. and Because uh, another guy that I think of is Paul. And I think of Paul as pretty fiery. And in fact, the more you kind of learn and stuff about Paul and this is what you do in seminary you spend an inordinate amount of time looking at background stuff and some of it's really helpful some of it you just want to die but uh but Paul is an interesting guy uh and has a lot of flaws and there are probably a lot of things that he did that caused him extra problems that he didn't have to do but I think most of us would agree Paul comes across as a pretty fiery guy right he he's pretty emotional pretty passionate all right but he writes a letter to the thessalonians 
And uh, the Thessalonians are a very mature church. They're probably one of the more mature ones. They're, they, they're doing pretty well. You know, Corinthians, he writes to Corinthians, and they just are going off the deep end, and he's trying to have to bring them back. The Thessalonians are fairly mature, and so he's encouraging them, uh, things like that. And so starting in, uh, I'm going to read verses 9 through 12, but uh, in verse 3 it says this, of chapter 4, it says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified. So what sanctified means is living a life set apart, so that you're living a life that is different. You know, that's, that's the, the basics, and so that's kind of where this is going. Hey, how do we live our lives set apart from others? And he gets down to, to verse 9, says, Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. All right? So he says it comes down to loving other people. Right? I mean, that's really the simplicity of it, is that you love each other. And he, he commends them. He says, hey, y'all are doing a good job, but you can always do better. We can always mature in our love and in the way that we treat other people. But then he says, verse 11, make it your ambition. Now, I want to stop right there. Make it your ambition. That word ambition is kind of a dirty word now. Right. Uh, whenever you think of ambition, I think of a unhealthily driven person, right? That just wants stuff for themselves. You know that they're ambitious, and so they're gonna and they will step on anyone to get what they want. Right. That's kind of the picture of that word of what ambition. So when Paul says, "Make it your ambition," kind of your mind goes to make it your ambition to win as many people as you can to Christ. Uh, make it your ambition to uh, be passionate about, about uh, uh, Christ. Make it your ambition, what, whatever it is, to, to, to make it to the top, to be the best Christian you can be. Whatever that may be, right? That's kind of in our mind. That's what, what comes to my mind. But isn't this amazing? It says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Not too many conferences around the theme live a quiet life. And isn't it interesting that it's connected with the word ambition? So that we passionately pursue living a quiet life. And that doesn't necessarily, that's hard for us. Our culture makes that hard. You know, and, and, and living a quiet life, it doesn't mean that you don't do anything. But man, isn't that a different model than what we usually focus on? Living a quiet life. It says to, I love this, to mind your own business and to work with your hands, just as we told you. Right? So our ambition to live a quiet life, mind our own, bish, own business, and take care, of, take care of business. Right? Now, we have to read this in the whole of Scripture. If we, you know, we, a lot of people, and we all fall into this, we love taking one verse and saying, oh, this, this is what it's going to be. Well, if we took that, we'd basically move up into the mountains somewhere, and we would just live up there and never interact with anyone else. And you would actually be following this. And by the way, there's some weeks that I'm like, sign me up. You know? But the whole of Scripture is clearly not that way. In fact, and, you know, the only way you can get to that conclusion is if you don't read the verse before that says continue to love 
each other. Continue to love the people of Macedonia. Continue to show that brotherly love. Right, so this doesn't mean you isolate yourself. It doesn't mean that you don't talk. It doesn't mean that you don't get involved in pe- people's lives. But whenever it says don't, uh, you know, to get out of people's business, I think what it's saying is, you know, sometimes we've gotten really good at just inserting ourselves in people's business. And I think he's saying, don't do that. And I think the church is really guilty of this, of just inserting ourselves in people's business. And the problem is, is if they're not ready for it, all we're doing is pushing them farther away from God. But what Paul is writing here, he's saying, live a quiet life, get out of people's business, take care of your own business, make sure you're living the life that you should be living, which is a quiet life with Jesus, right? You're getting to know him. And then I love what it says. It says in verse 12, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders so that you will not be dependent on anybody. So that the way that you live that is quiet, that is not intentionally getting into other people's business, that is taking care of your own, that actually starts becoming attractive to people. Because they're like, man, I want to, I want to experience some peace. I want to have a quiet life. Because life is not quiet. Life is chaotic. Choosing to live a quiet life is something that most people don't do. And it's hard. And so we've kind of just embraced the other way. We're like, man, if life is chaotic, well, then let's just embrace chaos and let's just tackle the world that way. And what happens is people will stay on fire for a, for a while and they'll be excited and they'll be trying to change the world, right? And then you get tired. And then a couple of things can happen. You just crash. And, and, uh, and you just kind of check out for a while. And then sometimes you come back. But unfortunately, the danger is, is that usually we'll come back because we'll start feeling guilty. Right? We'll feel guilty. Oh, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. You know, I'm supposed to be winning converts to Christ. I'm supposed to be passionate. And so then we come back full force, 110%. And then we do that for a while. And then we're like, oh, my gosh, I can't do that anymore. Right? Unfortunately, many people will experience that. And then when they crash, they don't come back. Right? Or they start saying, you know, I can, find, I can find passion and stuff like that in a lot of political groups, and they don't try to tell me to change my life. Right? They just give me the opportunity to yell at other people. And that's kind of fun. Right? No consequences, no guilt. Right? Maybe that's where I want to go. And we've got to understand that, man, I think Jesus is calling us to a different type of life. It's a quiet life in him. That doesn't mean ineffective. That doesn't mean not powerful. It doesn't mean that we don't make an impact in his kingdom. But it's coming at it from a different way. And, man, we're in this for the long haul, right? You know, your, your life, you're, you don't have to change the world by the time you're 35. And you don't have to convert a certain number of people by the time you're 35. You've got your whole life to live as Christ. Right? And what happens is when we start doing that, we start realizing, you know what? Life, it's okay. The ordinary of life is where the power is. Because most people, 
They don't really connect with that 1% of Christian heroes who are the evangelists who have the loudest megaphones who are changing the world, right, on a big stage. Most people... <laughs> look, at, look at everyone else and they say, you know, I just want to be able to pay my mortgage next month. I just, I just want to be able to enjoy some sort of happiness in my life. I just want things to go okay with my family. And you know what? They're just as passionate about God as the person who has the big megaphone. But unfortunately, sometimes we've made it seem like, no, in order for you to be passionate, you need to be changing many, many people's lives. You know what? Let God worry about the changing of people's lives. You live your life in a way that gives people the opportunity to see God in you. And then guess what? You'll start having conversations. And that's where we need to be unashamed in sharing the gospel. We need to be passionate about sharing the gospel but we do it in a different way and by living a quiet life. This week, start living a quiet life. Find power in the ordinary and we can change the world. Let's pray together. Dear God, I thank you so much for your presence. I thank you that you call us uh, to just live a quiet life in you. But Lord, that is, that is a life still filled with passion and a life that is focused on you. Lord, I pray that you will give us the strength to live different lives so that people will see you through us. And Lord, give us the wisdom to know how to share our faith as we live each and every day and we engage and embrace the routine of life. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for loving us so deeply and calling us to make a difference in your kingdom just by living a quiet life in you and allowing you to use us to make that difference. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to Journey Elgin. Come check us out. We're located at 1221 North Avenue C, Elgin, Texas 78621. You can contact us at www.journeyelgin.org or call us at 512-661-8411. That's 512-661-8411. We hope to see you soon and may God bless you.